0: Saturday 12th of June, Tom O'Toole taught two sessions at the Christchurch Manchester School of Theology. This is the second of those sessions, where Tom looked at the topic of sanctification. Tom is one of the leaders here at Christchurch Manchester and also runs the Broadcast Network, an online training platform for church planters. Let's take a listen to the session. In this last little bit, we're going to talk about sanctification. When we've got a word like that, it's good to just give a bit of a definition to what we mean by it. And to do that, I've got a couple of quotes, which you will see on your handout as well. Um, Wayne Grudem says, sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So that's what we're talking about. And in your groups, you've started a conversation about what's changed in your life while you've been a Christian. You've been talking about sanctification that has happened in your life so a a progressive gradual thing over the course of your Christian life. J.R. Packer says the concept is not of sin being totally eradicated that's to claim too much or merely counteracted that is to say too little but of a divinely wrought character change freeing us from sinful habits and forming in us Christ-like affections Dispositions and virtues. So, when we're talking about sanctification, it's something different to justification. So, justification is when we become a Christian, we're made right in God's sight. So, that's the righteousness of God freely given to us. Sanctification is the gradual process over all of our time as a Christian, between first becoming a Christian and dying, of our actual life becoming more and more and more reflecting of God and now there's a little table on the handout showing the difference between them so justification is about your legal standing sanctification is your internal condition justification happens once for all time sanctification is a continuous process throughout life justification that's entirely a work of God done for us in sanctification we cooperate God is at work. we have a part to play as well. Justification is perfect in this life, sanctification is not perfect in this life, we never reach a point where we uh, no longer need to be sanctified more, it's an ongoing thing. Justification is the same in all Christians, sanctification will be greater in some than others, we'll all be at different places on that journey. And we run into problems when we try to confuse, well, I said we try to, when, when we do confuse justification and sanctification, when we mix them up, when we treat one as the other, or, or when we try to just have one of them. So if our, if our entire notion of Christianity is we've been justified by God's grace, but we don't have any concept of sanctification, then we have a Christian life that's very nominal, that doesn't reflect God at all, that's pretty hypocritical. On the other hand, if we talk a lot about sanctification and not justification, it becomes moralism. It becomes you need to do this, change that, be better here, without talking about the free gift of God that accepts even ones far away like us. So both are crucial. Now, today we're focusing in on sanctification. I think in one of the other sessions on this School of Theology, you will have or you will in future look at justification. Both are key. The, the the first thing that I want to get across is that change is necessary, it matters, this is important that we experience sanctification. Think about where we've come from, we've come from sin, we were dead in our sin, our whole life was full of sin, that's what characterised us, and where we're going is new creation glory, we're made in the image of God, so we, we need to see this image restored from this marred place of sin into something that more and more reflects this glory that we are going to now one of the problems that you have when you talk about grace and when christianity uh, is a grace-based system then you'll get this accusation that's often leveled at it okay so you talk about grace does it not matter what we do then can we just do what we want and this is raised in romans 6 verse 1 and the question phrase there is are we to continue in sin that grace might abound and Paul's answer is by no means that's not what we are to do change is necessary we're not just to continue in sin once we've been saved but hey, if we're into legalism it'd work in a pretty straightforward and obvious way wouldn't it you have to change to be accepted when we understand the scriptural truth that we're accepted as sinners we're accepted not on the basis of what we do it becomes a little bit more complicated and nuanced to work through. Now, I want to share a Bible verse that I think is the elephant in the room for the sanctification conversation. And it's Romans 7, verses 19 and 20. It says this, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. People will often throw this verse into the conversation, essentially as saying change isn't really possible because, hey, we, we all sin. There's a sin that kind of controls us, that even if we don't want to sin, we will end up sinning. This evil has kind of got us in its fags." Now, I, I want to come back to that in a minute, because I, I think it's really important that we truly understand what is going on there? But uh, let me just loop around a few of the things first. Uh, I want to read Galatians 5 to show the picture that Paul is painting here of the Christian life. And I'll read verses 16 to 24. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, that seems a little bit different to that Romans 7 verse, doesn't it? You walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And desires. You see the picture there of change. It's possible. The Holy Spirit living in you will produce fruit. Things will change in your life. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you've crucified the flesh. This is what Paul Tripp says. He says, Change is possible. You can stand amid the harshest realities of sin and have hope that will never disappoint you. That marriage can change. That teenager can change. That church can change. Friendship can change, that bitterness can be put to death, that compulsion can be broken, that fear can be defeated, that stony heart can be made soft and sweet words can come from a once acid tongue. Loving service can come from a person who once was totally self-absorbed. People can have power without being corrupt. Homes can be places of safety, love and healing. Change is possible because the king has come he's absolutely right let me just walk you through Romans uh, chapter 6 to 8 because I think this will really help us see what's going on here in Romans 6 verse 6 Paul tells us that we are no longer slaves to sin that's really important before we knew Jesus we were slaves to sin sin dominated we couldn't choose to not sin it was our master and that was what what consumed us we we were in sin we were its slaves Paul says that's no longer the case if you're following jesus verse seven he says for one who has died has been set free from sin now if we've died with christ we believe we will also live with him so it was a slave master now we have been set free we've been liberated from it as something that had mastery over us that's the truth that paul is sharing there and then it's important the way we think about ourselves in verse nine we know that christ being raised from the dead will never die again death no longer has dominion over him for the death he died he died to sin once for all but the life he lives he lives to god so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to god in christ jesus it's the way you think of yourself do you think of yourself as dead to sin or do you think of yourself as alive to sin Even the language that we use is pretty important with this. I hear lots of Christians talk about themselves as a sinner. Now, I don't like that language being applied to a Christian. Firstly, it isn't applied to Christians anywhere in the New Testament. It's a status word. It's an identity word. The word used of Christians is saint. I wouldn't consider myself as someone who's sinner is the label that's appropriate to be over me. Now, I'm not saying I don't sometimes stumble and sin. That's not the claim I'm making. But as an identity, no. God's given me a new identity. I'm dead to that identity of sinner. I'm alive to the identity of saint in Christ Jesus. And we have a part to play. Verses 12 and 13, it tells us what to do. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That's what it was like before. That was when we're a slave to sin, isn't it? We let sin reign. He said, don't let it reign anymore. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And here's the the summary of the argument in verse 14. Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law Under grace. When you're under grace, sin doesn't have that dominion over you anymore. And in Romans, Paul sees there are three different ways you can live your life. You can live by the flesh, which is you just go along with whatever your natural desires are and you indulge them. You can live according to the law. So you're following this kind of strict religious code as though by that you'll have the righteousness of God. Or you can live by the Spirit, where uh, the Holy Spirit is is in you and guiding your your steps in life. So that's Romans 6, and that's what flows in to Romans 7. I want to see what we make of Romans 7, and I want to give you uh, a more extended time in the breakout rooms on this one. So if you go in the breakout rooms until half past, uh, they'll give you 12 minutes. What I want you to do is read through Romans chapter 7 verses 7 to 24 and i want you to pick out a set of words wherever you see them and those words are grace faith spirit jesus and christ andy are you making a note of this in the chat cool so romans 7 7 to 24 pick out every instance of grace faith spirit jesus and christ once you've done that then do a second pass through it and this time pick out every instance of law, flesh, sin and death and just see the contrast between the two. So if you go into the groups now and have a little go at that. Here we are. I wonder if you found that an interesting little exercise to do. I found it quite mind-blowing when I noticed that, that those words that are just peppered throughout the book of Romans, the whole theme of Romans, faith, grace, spirit Jesus and Christ they're just not occurring in in this section at all and the whole flavor of the book changes and becomes about law and flesh and sin and death and what this meant what this helped me to understand is that this life that Paul is describing here in chapter 7 it's not the life of grace it's not the life of faith it is the life under the law which sin and death Characters and Paul before he became a Christian he was the ultimate example of somebody trying to live under the law for righteousness and here he's describing I believe life from that perspective the law cannot save him the law cannot produce a righteousness in him I do not do the good I want the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing now if I do what I do not want it's no longer I who do it but sin that dwells within me this is Paul under the law but he he asked the question then because this this war inside him this inability to do right leads him in verse 24 to say wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death he said this is a problem and i've got a question who's going to help me out of this who's going to be the solution to this and the answer verse 25 thanks be to god through christ jesus our lord And that's what I was then in chapter eight, he starts to unpack this new life because of what Jesus has done, that Christ has produced something that the law was utterly incapable of doing. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit Do you see in christ god has done something that the law could not do by the spirit there's a new law of life in us and we walk according to that way sanctification can happen in fact i started by saying that change is possible i think it's much more accurate to say change is inevitable if you're following christ and you've got the holy spirit dwelling in you you will change he will make a difference in your life let's talk about how change happens then in our lives there are three types of sanctification we can use the word in different ways so firstly there's positional sanctification so this is in the past tense it's something we've been set apart for God it's happened in the past there's progressive sanctification so that's the present tense that's mainly what we've been talking about today the ongoing process of becoming more and more holy in our lives and then there's perfect sanctification and this is something that will happen in the future and on the day of Christ's return we will be perfectly made like him And in fact, if you look up um, 1 John chapter 3 verses 2 and 3, you see all three of these happening side by side. So beloved, we are God's children now. So that's a positional thing. We've been made God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's the future sanctification that will happen. And everyone who thus hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. That's the ongoing progressive sanctification. Now the positional and the perfect, the first and third types, are entirely on God. But the second one, the progressive sanctification, that's cooperative. We have a part to play and so does God. Now the battleground for it is in our actions, our words, our thoughts, our internal narrative, our feelings, our our desires, our identity, everything about us is being worked through in sanctification. Let's think a bit more practically how it happens. Now think about Jesus's disciples and the story that they go on over three years. Do you think that just before Jesus died, when you look at what the disciples were doing, do you think they were more sanctified than they were when they started? It's not that obvious from the story is it? By the end they're still blundering they're still making mistakes if anything they're saying more stupid things later on than they did at the start Uh, and yet sanctification had been happening something deep within a work was happening in them and these issues were arising along the way I think sometimes when we see issues in people we're too quick to dismiss it and say hey nothing's happening in their life because they're still doing this or that or the other but we shouldn't underestimate the work of god under the surface and the change that's been brought about but with jesus and the disciples i noticed three things that were helping them grow firstly proximity secondly learning and thirdly opportunity so let's talk about each of them proximity first of all it says when jesus called them he appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So the first thing he'd call them to, even before the sending them out there, was that they might be with him. They were spending time with Jesus. Think about all they saw up close. It's not just that they were in a classroom learning theory. They were on the road with Jesus as he was engaging with people, as he was teaching, as he was telling parables, uh, as he was doing miracles, as he was serving the poor, they were out there. They saw how he held himself. They saw what he did. They saw how he went about doing things. Sanctification isn't something that works at a distance. There needs to be proximity. Firstly, proximity to Jesus, drawing close to him. And secondly, proximity to one another. Think about in the New Testament, all the one another's, love one another, serve one another. You know, things like this. As we're living out Christian life in community, True maturity is is shown in the way we relate to each other, so proximity to each other. Secondly, the disciples, they had opportunities for learning, so they'd hear the teaching from Jesus, and then they had the the behind-the-scenes extra stuff. They'd have Jesus unpacking more of what he meant, the opportunity to ask their questions. When they struggled with things like prayer, they could just go to Jesus and say, teach us to pray, and he did. So much so that when the Jerusalem authorities heard their teaching, they were like, we don't get it, these are unlearned men, they're like, ah, they've been with Jesus, right, that makes sense of it all. So learning is important in sanctification. Now, I would commend each and every one of you, because you're giving up your Saturday mornings to learn, you're you're understanding more, that's a good thing to do. Learning your church, listen to the teaching there in your community group, read good books listen to good podcasts if if you're struggling for good content to learn more ask one of your church leaders or uh, ask Andy he's got some uh, good recommendations he could pass on to you but obviously learning in all those ways is secondary primary is learning the scriptures themselves make sure you're delving deep gaining understanding understanding of what the bible is saying we were chatting uh, in one of the breaks about how important it is with the bible to be really kind of not just reading the verses and letting them wash over you but digging in what's this about what's going on here that's such a good thing to be doing and then thirdly with the disciples they had opportunity jesus didn't just take them along for the ride but they were doing stuff he said i will make you Fishers of men, he'd send them out two by two to towns and villages to do the things that they'd seen him do. I remember early on in my Christian life, there were people who gave me opportunities to share in their ministry, to do things that they were doing and to come alongside them. And for my growth, that was so formative. I would encourage you to take opportunities that are given to you. If you're offered an opportunity to get involved with something that will build the kingdom, I would encourage you to do it. I would also encourage you to be just a little bit pushy in asking for opportunities. If you think you're not being given opportunities, now, don't go overboard with it and be on uh, leaders' backs all the time. But I think there's a place that I would love to do this. Is there a chance to step out in this way? Can you help me figure out what to do with this desire to serve? Take opportunities to put the gifts that you have to use figure out what your spiritual gifts are, what your passions are, maybe uh, anything that God's spoken to you about. Also what are the needs in front of you that there's an opportunity to meet and take the opportunities to do them. There's tons of stuff we can do to facilitate our own sanctification. Tim Chester in his book We Can Change talks about the idea of sowing to the spirit and what he means is he says sowing to the spirit means saying yes to whatever strengthens Our spirit-inspired desires. He picks up seven ways that we can sow to the spirit. I'll just run through these seven to finish the session. Firstly is the Bible. Now the Bible reveals God. The Bible also reveals ourselves. Hebrews 4 says it penetrates the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The Bible helps us as we face up to things going on in life, as we face anxiety, worry, fear or loss. The Bible is God speaking to us in our situations the bible helps mold us not to give in to temptation david writes in the psalms i've hidden your word in my heart that i might not sin against you chris wright says the more we instill the bible into our heart mind soul and bloodstream the harder we will find it to sin comfortably the bible enlivens our conscience and drives us back to god in repentance and longing to live as it pleases him So I'd encourage you to be reading your Bible regularly. I'd also encourage you sometimes to read the Bible in long chunks. You know, take a a long book like Isaiah and read it in one sitting. It takes a couple of hours. But wow, the riches you get from doing something like that. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Get get verses that you just know they're there front of mind for you. So the Bible is one way we sow to the Spirit. Another way we sow to the Spirit is in prayer. In James 4, it says, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. You know, for many people, prayer isn't an easy thing. In fact, the number of people that I hear say, I struggle with prayer, makes me conclude that prayer is something that a lot of people do struggle with. But how much do we fight for it? You know, do we it's easy to say, oh, well, I don't do it so much because I struggle with it. If it's a struggle, then struggle. Fight for prayer. It's so important because when we pray what does it do to us it changes us doesn't it as we pray as we're bringing ourselves to God and listening to God's voice speaking into our life JC Ryle says praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer diligence in prayer is the secret of eminent holiness So cultivate that prayer life and I think It's a both and in praying all the time and in taking intentional times of prayer day by day. I I know some people who say, hey, I want to pray all the time, so I don't take that intentional time. I think you need to do both. You know, if you think about any relationship, you want to be in constant contact with each other. You also want to invest in special focused times. Prayer is like that, have focused times of prayer and be praying all the time. A third way we sow to the Spirit is in community. Sanctification is a team sport. The Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, and that's what believers do for each other. Think about a fire, the logs are burning. Now, one log on its own, the fire might burn out. But as the fire from each log is catching back onto the other logs, they help each other to burn brightly. Your community, your your church, your small group, it's a place to bring your struggles. It's a place to be encouraged by the work of God in others. It's a place to pour yourself out for them. It's a place to receive from them and be filled up again. So make sure you are in community. Make sure you're not neglecting to gather with your church on Sundays. You know, it's been a a tough season for a lot of people with churches being on Zoom rather than in person or or other kind of digital means. There are different ways of doing it. But make sure you're engaging in that. Make sure as things open up and there are, there are meetings, make sure you're, you're figuring out how to re-engage with that, make sure your midweek groups, make sure your friendships, make sure you're investing in community. Christianity as a solo thing is never meant to be that way, Christ is building his people, his community together. Another way we sow to the spirit is through worship, through singing these songs of praise because this uh, this takes us right to the heart doesn't it? When we worship we're reminding ourselves God is bigger and better than anything that sin offers. It's not just an affirmation that God is good, it's an affirmation that he is better than the things consuming our heart. Another one is service. Tim Chester says we often think of service as the fruit or sign of change but it's also a means of grace that God can use to change us. I had a friend who was really uh, feeling downbeat and melancholy with life, was kind of getting quite introspective started reading his bible and he came across isaiah 58 verses 10 and 11 which says if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday and the lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail he was reading that and he was thinking well I don't feel like that at the moment but I want to you know I want to uh, I want to see light rise in the darkness I want my bones to feel strong I want my desire to be satisfied and he read the first line that says if you pour yourself out for the hungry I thought I might be feeling awful right now so what I'm going to do I'm going to make a whole platter of sandwiches and I'm going to take them down the Holloway Road in London I'm going to find people who are hungry and homeless and I'm going to give them sandwiches and he spent his afternoon doing that. And he was telling me that then when he got home, his feeling of gloom and melancholy had gone and he was overjoyed and he'd been serving. That's what had led him to that point. How are you serving? What are the things that you're doing and giving of yourself for others? Let me encourage you with this. When life gets hard, when it feels like you're under the cosh, don't use that as a time to step back from serving. If anything, do the opposite. Push in more. Because through serving, that's a means that God uses to bring that change within us. Same for giving as well. Don't push out of it when things get hard. Push into it. It's through this generosity and self-giving that God will work. Another one, uh, a way of sowing to the spirit. This is a a difficult one, suffering. Uh, So in James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, he read it to you. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is what we wouldn't choose for ourselves. And I'm not saying go out and find a way to suffer. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that when suffering comes our way, we do have a choice how we respond to it. What are we going to do with the suffering that comes our way and we can recognize that suffering is something that god uses frequently in the process of our sanctification tim chester again he says suffering always presents us with a choice we can get frustrated angry bitter or despondent as our desire for control success love or health gets threatened or we can take hold of god in a new way finding our joy in him and comfort in his promises final way of sowing to the spirit that i want to pick up is hope hope for the future this was a big one in centuries past if you read old christian books they talk about eternity a lot newer christian books don't do it so much i think it's a blind spot for our generation heavenly hope new creation hope of what is to come when god will make all things right where, where there'll be no more death or suffering Or crying our tears that's the hope that there is with christ himself as the centerpiece of it and later in the year we'll be having a session on uh, eschatology looking at what this hope is in detail but let's hope john maxwell says where there's no hope in the future there's no power in the present in the bible we have an incredible hope for the future so there are just some of the ways some of the parts that we can play in making use of these means that God's provided for our sanctification. But let me encourage you, God has got us on a track. Sanctification will happen as the Spirit is indwelling us. The things that we're struggling with today, it's not inevitable that those will be the same struggles we have tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now. Sanctification can happen. We can change. And I want to leave by encouraging you on that note.